Welcome to it. It's Husker Sports Weekly, your one-stop shop for all things Husker Sports, episode number 108 for all of you. And we're back after a couple of weeks. It's winter break. Grant and I are, once again, 400 miles away from each other. So we are doing remote recording again. So bear with us if there's any, you know, malfunctions, if you will. But we have a lot to talk about regarding Husker football and Husker basketball as well as we get really into the middle of the season and the meat of conference play for both the men's and women's teams respectively. The Big Ten is good on either side, so that'll be a fun conversation. Both teams with two big conference matchups coming up tonight on Wednesday, December 28th, and we record this, and tomorrow, Thursday, December 29th. So we'll get into those matchups, but before all of that... Grant Hansen and Connor Clark here with you. As always, you can find us on Twitter at C underscore Clark underscore 27 and at Hansen, not Hansen. Ian, not Owen. And you can find our show on Twitter at Husker Weekly or search Husker Sports Weekly in the search bar of your favorite podcast networks to find our show. We appreciate you all so much for listening. We hope you had a very Merry Christmas or a very happy Hanukkah, whichever one you celebrate. The holidays are here, um, and we won't talk to you again before New Year. So, Happy New Year, everybody. Mm, 2022 is quickly coming to an end. So, let's kick things off with the 2023 signing class. Early signing day is over, and top to bottom, Matt Rule and his staff did a pretty good job, I would say. They got Malachi Coleman to recommit, which was a big one. Obviously, that was... Um, a, a big, you know, question mark coming into this early signing day because you had Colorado in there trying to get him to come, Michigan, and uh, a bunch of other big-time schools now, especially with the addition of Deion Sanders to Colorado to try and pry Malachi Coleman away from the Huskers. But he recommits to Nebraska and Matt Rule's staff. You have a couple of other guys, such as Riley Van Poppel. I, Prince Will, I don't know how to say your last name just yet, but yes. I will get better at that. I, I, I will um, take a crack at it. I will. I will throw my hat in the ring. Do it. Embarrass yourself, please. Yeah, it's uh, Prince Will Unmalen. That is, that is, if I remember correctly from the Huskers radio network broadcast on, uh, on signing day, that is how you say it. And interesting tidbit there, Matt Rule Basically, like they they butchered the name, I think, the first couple of times. And Greg oh Sharp boy. and Jessica Kudu, who both been on their our show before, they were talking about, oh, how do we get this right? Coach Rule comes in there with the pronunciation properly uh, on a piece of paper, gives that or gets that into them. I don't know. I don't know if he delivered it himself, but he got that to them <laughs> so that they could get the name correct. Which again, like it's we'll probably this will be a running theme throughout the next few months, but. Again, right? Like, just another example of his detailed-oriented nature. Yeah, he is very detail-oriented. He's also very confusing on Twitter. I think I've spent this entire <laughs> winter break trying to translate his emoji language throughout the, the Twitterverse. So I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out. But he's done a nice job on the recruiting trail. He's got a, a couple of in-state guys as well. Um, and the transfer portal signings were were pretty good. Ben Scott, a three-year offensive lineman starter from Arizona State. Elijah Judy, a defensive lineman from Texas A&M. Jeff Sims, the quarterback from Georgia Tech. Um, so a couple of good players in there as well. 
overall, according to 24-7's ranks, and if you want to throw rivals rankings at me, Grant, be my uh, guest. I won't. I'll throw on threes at you. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Uh, overall rank on 24-7 is 32. The composite is 28, and the transfer rank is 22. Yeah, so for on three, 33rd nationally uh, from 40th in the last ranking, so up seven spots, and then fifth in the Big Ten rankings, up four spots from ninth. By the way, there's a couple of more uh, names that could potentially pop Nebraska's way uh, before we go through the next round of additions, and the biggest and the most notable is Cam Lenhart, who's a four-star edge rusher um, from, I believe, the New York area. Uh, I should I should be 100% accurate on that, but he would be another big signing as well that could potentially bump Nebraska's class into the top 30, and for a transition class, uh, that's something you certainly have to be appreciative uh, appreciative of. Yeah, in a time where, you know, and we talked about this in previous episodes too, where Matt Rule is at Temple, he's at Baylor, he builds up these programs, and he does a, a hell of a job at it, and then he goes to the NFL for really not that long, but he comes back into a college game that's so much different than it was when he was previously in it. But it seems like he's adjusted pretty quickly, as well as his staff. He's obviously gotten some nice hires. Um, a big story we haven't talked about yet that does fall into recruiting is the decommitment of Dylan Riola to Ohio State. That's something to look out for as Husker fans as well. I know Twitter, Instagram, Facebook was going absolutely nuts the day that that information came out. Obviously, Raiola's uncle is the offensive line coach who has been retained on the staff. So there's that family connection. So that's something else to keep an eye out um, on the recruiting trail for this Nebraska team. But obviously, you have you know Malachi Coleman, the number one athlete, as he's listed as for position-wise in the state of Nebraska, Grant. Is he the most notable name to you in this class, or who else on here sticks out? Yeah, I think undoubtedly uh, he's the one that the most people are going to recognize. The most people are going to think, okay, it's a good thing we got him. We couldn't let him go. And, and it really also, again, falls back into this staff's philosophy that we're not going to let players from Nebraska or you know even bigger to expand that in the 500-mile radius to leave. That's going to be a huge focus for us. And, by the way, as you look throughout all of football, really all of football, almost every level, high school, college, pro, there are players that Nebraska let get away in the Scott Frost era that are basically just giant indictments of the previous staff's recruiting style. Uh, Zane Flores, for one, Gretna. That's the high school level guy. Max Duggan, local guy. Nebraska takes Luke McCaffrey instead of him. Uh, and then Joe Burrow, professionally. So there's there's three examples there. All quarterbacks, all guys that Nebraska didn't take because they liked, uh, well, we like this outside guy a little bit more, this Luke McCaffrey guy. And and look, to be fair, you know, McCaffrey was very highly touted at the time. He came, obviously, from a football family with an outstanding pedigree. Uh, but undoubtedly, these are misses. And, and arguably the worst is Zane Flores, uh, who was here locally in Gretna, the closest of those three guys. All of them had different ties here to Nebraska in one aspect or another. So, again, that's why getting Malachi Coleman is so important because you don't want to see him leave – for Colorado and become great. 
It doesn't matter how he does here. That option, that uh, outcome, at least for now, barring a transfer portal, is not on the table. So that's great. Uh, Prince Wellu Mainland, I really like him. I really do. 6'4", uh, 230 listed on on three. Uh, second highest rated guy in the class. Guy's got a ton of speed. Very, like, you love the measurables, right? Speed's very big to this staff. I like him a lot. And then I don't really think you can talk about this class without mentioning Eric Fields because the guy is someone that this coaching staff raves about constantly. And I think in a lot of ways could very well be the poster child for how this staff develops players here at Nebraska, right? Because, again, I think at this point, three different staff members of Nebraska's seven, three still need to be hired, uh, have mentioned Eric Fields directly. This linebacker out of Oklahoma, a guy who didn't have any stars, you know, relatively, I think, low national interest. Nebraska finds him, gets on him, and commits him within, again, a little bit less than a month. And he's a guy that Nebraska thinks is going to be a household name here. 180 tackles in high school, I believe in his senior year, actually. So, I again, like we don't know what he's going to be. We don't know what the staff is going to develop him into, but he's sort of the guy that, look, this guy fits our physical metrics. We think he's a gem. You know, this guy def- discovered by defensive backs coach Evan Cooper. This is a guy that we think we can turn into something. And so it'll be interesting to see down the line, two years, three years from now, if this guy becomes what the staff thinks he can be. And if that's true, then we could be looking at a really successful uh, era of football here in Lincoln under head coach Matt Rule. Yeah, I'm looking at Eric Fields, and I'm on the on three site now. Uh, Grant, I will give you and everybody at on three a, a little props here. I love, absolutely love the NIL value part of the recruiting stuff. I think that's pretty awesome. But if this coaching staff, you know, they pick out Eric Fields, and you mentioned that they say his name specifically when they're talking about linebackers and stuff. I want to read off his. Um, teams of interest list and I think it's uh, honestly pretty eye-opening when you kind of put everything together and how he got to Nebraska so Oklahoma State he did not get an offer from Uh, he was offered from the following schools Abilene Christian New Mexico State Texas Tech North Texas Arkansas State and of course Nebraska and if this is a get that can really shine as a three-star linebacker he's 6'2 195 I mean, the next best thing for him was Arkansas State, and that's no disrespect to Arkansas State, but the Nebraska to Arkansas State program comparison is quite large, right? So if that's a get that really stands out, I think that would be, you know, props to Rule and his staff for finding him because you you said the stats too his senior year. He had a ridiculous amount of tackles. I mean, that is going to be a huge get, and especially – you know, losing Garrett Nelson now, which is an experienced guy. I mean, you're going to have to reconstruct that that linebacker room a little bit. No more Ernest Hausman as well. So, yeah, if that could be, you know, a diamond in the rough, if you will, that would be really amazing considering, I mean, it was 98.4% Nebraska and 1.5% to Arkansas State. So that would be a, a phenomenal get. Yeah, and, and look, if you are on the outside looking in on this, you're thinking, why does Nebraska get in – with so much ease to get this guy out of Oklahoma, 
you know, why why weren't this is like the type of guy that Brett Venables and the Sooners should be all over or Oklahoma State and head coach Mike Gundy. And so the thought process there, and this was reported by Sean Callahan, uh, my boss there at, at, at Husker Online, academics was the question mark. So grades might have been a little bit tight. Now, Nebraska feels very confident that its academic support staff and its coaching staff can help him there. But if you're wondering why, why is this guy flown under the radar so much, that is one possible explanation. But, again, it's just like you ask me, who do, you, who do I think are the best guys in this class? I really don't know. I know the coaching staff really talks about him a lot, and so you can't not mention him. You can't leave him out. Um, Cameron Lenhart, by the way, uh, getting Cam Lenhart, Lenhart would be huge. I mean, that's another four-star defensive end. You're bringing in Chief Borders from Florida, a guy that this coaching staff likes. They like his energy. They like his intelligence. Um, so you're going to need to get some guys in now. And some of these guys, some of these younger guys, considering some of the losses Nebraska has had on the defensive line, might be playing sooner than later. I love Chief Borders' name. I just had to throw that out there. I think that's a phenomenal first name. And let's let's get him on the all-name team here mm. way too early for the 2023 season. Jeff Sims is a name that obviously sticks out on the page for me. Just obviously the quarterback position, very, very important for college football. Um, how will he get developed? I would imagine that he's backing up Casey Thompson as of right now. Um, he doesn't have a full season starting under his belt, but how – Will he progress um, underneath the, the teaching of Rule's staff? Because that's the big question, too. Rule's really, really good at you know the progression of players and, and developments. And I think he could be a pretty you know prime example of that, um, depending on how, how big of a leap that he jumps. That also begs the question, okay, well, who's going to leave the quarterback room? Because I believe there's 10 quarterbacks on the roster now. And seven are on scholarship. Right. right. So you, you would have to think one or two are, are going to be out of there now. So that'll be uh, yeah. another question. But uh, Yeah, and it's fascinating. It's fascinating because, and this was a big topic of discussion last week, there were two questions asked on each of those two potential starting quarterbacks, Casey Thompson, Jeff Sims. Matt Rule's answer on Casey Thompson was just about the shortest answer he gave in the entire press conference. Obviously very congenial, nothing negative, but it was the shortest. He went on for a ton of time about Jeff Sims and talking about how he wanted, as soon as Sims hit the portal, he was interested in him, certain NFL guys telling him he needs to go get Sims, stuff like that. So, look, uh, Casey Thompson is here to stay. He's here to, to battle for the position. But you got to remember, the dude is going to be missing about six months here with a the, with the shoulder injury. So as he recovers yeah. from that, does Sims slide in there and take the job and not give it back? Sims might even fit the offensive scheme. We don't know a whole lot about the offensive scheme, but it seems like being able to run is going to be important. And so Sims definitely fits that bill more so than Thompson. And so that will also be something to watch in the coming days. So, look, we don't know a whole lot, but I think Sims has just as good of a shot as anyone in that quarterback room right now of taking the starting job. The top 35 recruiting class for Nebraska after the early signing day, fifth in the Big Ten. Uh, a lot of exciting stuff from Rule and his staff and what they were able to put together. So I, I think right now as a Husker fan, you got to be pretty happy about 
where the football program is trending and where it will continue to go as the offseason progresses. It's only December, everybody, so mm. still yeah. a lot of time between now and kickoff in late August in Minneapolis on a Thursday for whatever reason. I'm not a huge <laughs> fan of that, but whatever. We'll um, get there. <laughs> we'll cross that bridge when we get there. And then one last thing, I think, before uh, before we move on, but let's talk a little trenches here. Ben Scott from uh, from Arizona State, that is a huge pickup. Helps solidify your center position. Uh, that's a guy who, as you mentioned, I believe, I think you said three-year starter. Uh, yes. That's going to be hugely impactful. <laughs> and you think about that offensive line. Like, it's not to say, although that was probably one of the more interesting answers of the entire Matt Rule press conference where he said he doesn't think the offensive line is the problem. Like, he hears that outside a lot. That's not what he thinks. He thinks they can fix these guys or even that they aren't necessarily the problem. But, look, I mean, think about what your offensive line could be next year. Uh, Turner, Turner Corcoran at right tackle. Teddy Perhoshka back at left tackle. And you know, Corcoran didn't have the greatest of years at times uh, last year, but he's definitely more dependable than Ben Hart, uh, who will still be around. And then you get Nana Nawili back at one of the guard spots. You'll get Scott at center, and then you'll keep Ethan Piper uh, at the other guard spot. So you're going to see a much really different personnel group offensive line-wise than you did a year ago, and then you get Scott to help you know, anchor things in the middle. That'll be really helpful. And then on the defensive side of the ball, of course, Garrett Nelson. Yesterday he announced he's declaring for the NFL draft. Colton Feast announces uh, today, just about an hour ago from when we are recording this on Wednesday night, that he is going to uh, forego his potential final year of eligibility at Nebraska, so he won't be back. So, there, I mean, there's a lot of space to fill on that defensive line and a lot of potential uh, for new, uh, new blood coming up. So, again, uh, you think about the 3-3-5, too. What sort of scheme does Nebraska go with defensively to try to offset some of its deficiencies personnel-wise um, and, and promote its strengths? That's going to be a question that you know, we'll be probably dealing with for the next several months. It'll be interesting. A lot of new faces, a lot of, you know, turnaround. And um, I, I do like that rule thinks that, you know, he can, quote-unquote, fix the, the offensive line with the guys he has. I think that um, is empowering for that group that's already in the room as well. So in, in encouraging them to take the next step forward into 2023. So let's move on. To some Husker hoops, we'll hit the women's team first. They're on a five-game win streak, and they actually play number 14 Michigan at the vault in approximately four minutes um, as we're recording this. So they're on a five-game win streak. It all started with that big win at number 20 Maryland on December 4th. They beat Wisconsin, Samford, Wyoming, and most recently number 20 Kansas in triple overtime at Pinnacle Bank Arena, 85-79. to They're 10-3 overall now. They are 2-0 in the conference. They are 7-0 at PBA. They were 14-1 a season ago. This team really likes playing at home. A golden opportunity to really open the heart of conference play against Michigan here at home. They will go to number four, Indiana, on New Year's Day. So another really tough test in the conference. But this is a team that seems to have his mojo back. Allison Wider was injured. She injured her knee, I believe, against Kansas and left the game with crutches. So yeah, she's out she, tonight, by the way. Yes, yeah, sure, she is out. Um, her timetable, 
I would imagine is rather lengthy, so that's a tough loss for the Huskers. Um, but definitely a big game here tonight to try and get uh, a 3-0 start in Big Ten play um, and against a, a really good Michigan team, but a team that in Michigan-Nebraska had some success against last year. Yeah, it'll, it'll be a fascinating game tonight. That, that Kansas win is huge. I think we touched on it a little bit in one of our earlier December episodes. Uh, picking up the win over Kansas in the way that they did, continuing their winning streak, triple overtime. It was a grind. Now, luckily, they got a week off, so that helps. You didn't have to turn around and play three or four days later. So hopefully the team got a chance to rest recuperate a little bit and now you wonder what happens obviously with Allison Widener where you you get Sam Hybe back uh in some capacity and then you lose Allison Widener that really stinks uh and so we're going to get a test tonight of how strong this team's mental fortitude is and we're going to get a test of how gritty this team is tonight more often than not Amy Williams squads have stood up to that test in some way or another. And the road, by the way, doesn't get any easier. You got number four, Indiana, uh, on Sunday at noon, New Year's Day. So, like, this win tonight would go a long, long way uh, towards solidifying this team's confidence to extend that win streak to six games. Well, I think the injury or, well, getting Izzy Bourne back from injury is huge for this team right. as well because obviously you have Alexis Markowski underneath and she's been phenomenal all year just like she was last year. But then you add Izzy Bourne back into the mix and you have two really good bigs down there, obviously Jazz Shelley as well up the guard position. She's been playing fantastic this year. Um, you mentioned Sam Hybe getting back into the mix, a, a senior leader, um, a grad a grad student leader. Um, and she's been the heart and soul of the program for the last couple of years now. So, yeah, you, a win here tonight against number 14 Michigan would go a long way, as you said, Grant, with that January 1st game at noon looming. I don't envy everybody who's playing in that game. I would not want to play a noon game on, on New Year's Day. Mm -mm. But that's that's the uh, card the Huskers have been dealt against a really good Indiana team who they split with last year, may I mind you. Uh, January 7th, they play at Rutgers, and they're back home for two more, Penn State and Ohio State. And as of right now, um, I would have to look at the AP Top 25, but they don't play a ranked team until I believe they play Maryland again, um, which is in a couple of weeks. So you get through this stretch for Amy Williams' squad, and that's going to be huge. Again, a 10-3 and record. This team, I believe, was on the 7 line in bracketology this week. Um, so, and it, it's a team that's also starting to creep back into um, the, the top 25 as well and, right. and receiving votes, rightfully so. Yeah, I got a few last week, and they're kind of back in that position where they were, you know, last year, where it's just like <laughs> they're close, they're right on the edge. But I think voters struggle especially considering the the struggles that the team itself had in November, they struggled to kind of give that vote of confidence to the team to get them back in the top 25. And taking one or both of these two, I think would go a long way towards regaining some of that confidence. Uh, but look, I think even if they drop one of these next two games, even on, let's say they drop, the, they drop a close one tonight, they uh, upset Indiana on the road. I, I still don't think they get in in that, um, 
in that situation just because of the way things have gone in years past and the general respect Nebraska's received from from poll voters. Um, but you know, obviously, getting one of these two wins would go a long, long way. Nebraska ten votes for the latest AP Top Twenty Five. If I had to pick which game they win out of the next two, it's probably tonight's, just because they've been so good at home the past year and a half now. And Michigan, obviously, is a really, really good team, number 14 in the country for a reason. But the you know home court advantage for this team has been invaluable. And in addition, the crowd support at these games has been very, very good as well. I mean... This team starts to light it up, and PBA is getting loud, and, and those players definitely feed off of that energy. Amy Williams is a very intense coach during those games, as many Husker fans know, and I think she kind of takes that energy externally from the crowd and, and uses that um, in timeout huddles, in the locker room, what whatnot. So I, I think that's been a, a huge thing for this team, and um, I mean, that's, that goes to show how you know important the fan base is as well, no matter what sport it is, whether that's football or women's basketball. I mean, it's been absolutely phenomenal. So Nebraska takes on number 14 Michigan essentially right now. So when you're listening to this, you will know the result of said game. And hopefully the Huskers come out on top as they have a big game against Indiana on January 1st uh, to open up 2023. On the men's side, their record isn't as clean, 7-6. and six. They've run into you know a couple of really, really good teams, and, and this schedule, honestly, for Fred Hoiberg's group has been really difficult, um, and now they're in conference play for the rest of the way. So, obviously, the win against Creighton when they were number 7 at the time, they are now 8-6. and six. They are on the first, first four out in bracketology, so it's, it's kind of interesting to see how that has aged. Um, the loss at Indiana, the loss at home against Purdue, and then not a very inspiring performance against Kansas State and Kansas City. They lost 71-56. Uh, they come back home. They beat Queens by 10. And now they have Iowa tomorrow at 6. A sold-out crowd for this game, and obviously uh, an Iowa team that Husker fans would always like to beat, but an Iowa team that has struggled as of late. They just lost to Eastern Illinois by nine points at home when they were 31-and-a-half-point favorites. So quite the cover and outright win for Eastern Illinois in that game. So this is a game you got to feel the Huskers can can win this thing, right? Because the line is only three. And with a sold-out crowd at PBA, I mean, you saw the game against Purdue. I think Nebraska's got a pretty good shot here tomorrow. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, what a roller coaster of a season for Iowa. You start the game the year on a five-game win streak, and look, granted, you're not paying the best competition, but you beat Seton Hall in there. You beat uh, Clemson, also went over Omaha. Um, then you lose to TCU. You lose tight to Duke. You beat Iowa State, who was ranked number 20 at the time, and you just absolutely trounced them 75-56. to Lose a weird, tight game to Wisconsin, 78-75. And then this Eastern Illinois loss. It's just been a really odd year, but they're 8-4. and four. And so I, I think Nebraska has a real shot in this game, mainly because I think, it, look, as long as Nebraska plays like they did when they were at their best earlier this year, and that's Creighton, that's uh, games against Purdue, they're going to be able to beat teams. It doesn't matter really what the talent disparity is. They're going to be able to be on teams all year long. 
So I, I think they certainly have a real shot at winning this game. And I would go so far as to say that I think they probably do win this game. Yeah, I like that you brought up that Iowa's season has been really weird. And I think, you know, the, the Wisconsin loss was a, an overtime loss at home. I think Wisconsin has been a lot better than everybody else has thought. But you lose that game coming off of the, you know, rear end kicking against Iowa State at home. And to open up that game, Iowa just could not miss from the field. It was unbelievable. Um, you beat Southeast Missouri State 106-75, and then the Eastern Illinois lost 92-83. to And that's got to raise an eyebrow, not only offensively, but you gave up 92 to an Eastern Illinois team that you probably shouldn't give up 92 to, especially on your home floor. So that is definitely an eyebrow raiser. For Nebraska, the Queens win doesn't look as good in the final score as I think it actually was. I mean, they were in control that game by 15 plus for the, the the majority of the way and you know give Queens credit you know they didn't give up they they kept in the fight and this is their first or second year in D1 um so you know it's it's good that Nebraska was able to get back on track after the Kansas State loss the Kansas State loss was weird as well because you know Nebraska was down 10 for the majority of that first half they go down I believe 18 at most in the second half they battled back. They got it to within eight after a couple of Lawrence threes, actually. Um, and then Kansas State just kind of pulled it away. Like every time Nebraska made a run, K State had an answer. And throughout the Big Ten schedule, you have to try and avoid that at all costs. But Grant, to your point, if Nebraska puts together a Creighton performance or even a Purdue performance, even though that was a loss in that game, I think they win more times than not just because of that defense is so suffocating. And if you can run your offense efficiently through Derek Walker, how good has he been this year? I think that gives Nebraska a shot in a lot of these big 10 games down the stretch. Yeah, it's just so weird. Like Queens, we knew wasn't like an easy out, but I still would have right. felt better if Nebraska had beat them by more. Uh, if you're, you know, if you're head coach Fred Hoiberg, uh, look, even the, I mean, Nebraska got that loss in that loss to Kansas State. They got it down to single digits. They got it down to seven at one point uh, inside the final two minutes. Ended up losing 71 to 56 just because of free throws. But I think ultimately what doomed them was a lack of offensive consistency. And, and I, I, I mean, I would say that they didn't, like, I would just call their Kansas State performance just terrible. Like, by their standards, by the standards they had set for themselves mm-hmm. in the previous three weeks or so, that was an awful loss. So, yeah, I think you kind of have those questions start to creep back in. You know, was that December run just sort of a mirage, something we've seen with the basketball teams well before Fred Hoiberg? So, yeah, I think, I think it's fascinating because this Iowa game is a team they could lose to handily and I also think they're more than capable of beating. I think they will beat them, like I said earlier. Um, but it will be a really interesting test of, okay, where is this team at, really? And I think that there's a huge difference between 1-2 and two and 0-3 oh and in conference play because it's early enough where you get to 1-2 and two in the conference and you're in the middle of the pack. You're right back in the mix, right? And again, it's very, very early. But that's Nebraska can't afford to get too far behind that eight ball. I think they need to be somewhere in the middle of the pack, 
if they want any sort of shot at a postseason berth, whether that's NCAA, NIT, whatever, they need to get ahead of that because if they go to 0-3, obviously the schedule of the Big Ten doesn't get very easy after this. I mean, you play at Michigan State, at Minnesota, who hasn't looked very good, but then you host Illinois, you play Purdue again, Ohio State is good, Penn State is very, very old and experienced, Northwestern is out to a 9-2 and start this year. They're third in the Big Ten right now, so... I think the the one and two to zero and three comparison in conference play for this team is enormous, and I think that makes this game that much more important. I said it before: the line is three, or the spread rather. Uh, Iowa is favored by three. The over under is one forty nine for this game. Uh, Nebraska on ESPN.com given a thirty nine point two percent chance to win the ball game. I'll read off the Big Ten conference standings here real quick for you. So. Purdue and Wisconsin both 2-0, uh, Northwestern, Ohio State, and Michigan all 1-0, then Indiana, Maryland, Penn State, Michigan State, Rutgers all 1-1, Iowa's 0-1, Illinois is 0-2, a surprisingly subpar start for them in Big Ten play, Nebraska 0-2, and Minnesota 0-2, but 1-2 versus 0-3, big difference in my mind. 100%, 100%, yeah, like, I mean, I think... You know, if Nebraska wants any realistic chance at a postseason berth, you need to be in that top eight, I think, top nine of the Big mm-hmm. Ten. Uh, we're talking like NIT here. Um, and this Iowa game is really important just in terms of like there's not a lot of winnable games on the schedule like or games that you're like, yeah, I think they can win that game, I would say with like 60% confidence. There really is not a whole lot of those. So you need to find them wherever – you need to take advantage of them wherever you can – especially at Pinnacle Bank Arena in front of the crowd that's going to be there on Thursday night. We've talked about it too with a lot of different people. It is amazing how good of a home court advantage it is at PBA when there's a lot of people in the building, and there will be tomorrow night. You can catch the game at 6 p.m. on the Big Ten Network, an expected sold-out crowd for this game. Um, So PBA will be jumping in late December. Big game for the Huskers as they take on Iowa, the women's team in action right now against number 14, Michigan. Um, So a lot of hoops action coming your way. We'll have our coverage of those two teams throughout the season as they progress into Big Ten play and as we get closer and closer to the postseason. um, I imagine we will be talking about NCAA tournament talk with the women's team And maybe we get some NIT NCAA talk with the men's team. Fingers crossed. All we can do is hope at this point um, as Big Ten play is upon us. Grant, any closing thoughts before we wrap episode 108 up? Yeah, just one thing on the the Allison Widener news. I'm I'm reading here, I believe from the Omaha World-Herald, that her knee injury is season-ending. So, obviously, that's a big loss and – um, really has to be totally crushing for her. She was playing incredibly well. She is playing incredibly well. Um, and so Nebraska, it seems that they will be without her for the remainder of the season. Tough loss for Amy Williams and her squad. Uh, but I think that, you know, they have a, a well enough rounded roster. Obviously, losing her hurts, and you mentioned the level that she was playing at was – extremely high I mean she she played well last year and this year she's stepped it up even more but again getting Izzy Bourne back from injury is huge I think and that can be you know a a little bit of a a momentum booster as well as the Sam Hybe addition as well 
Um, she's been battling with injuries, so her minutes haven't been as, you know, it. she hasn't played as big of a chunk of a game, if you will, as she would normally. But having her on the floor or even on the bench is important to this squad as well with her leadership qualities. So once again, we'll we'll continue our coverage of, of Husker basketball and Husker football as the offseason progresses. Uh, big signing day last week um, and a lot of good news coming out of that signing day with Matt Rule and his staff. So that will do it for episode number 108 of Husker Sports Weekly. Happy New Year. This is the last episode of 2022 so we hope you had a great year we hope you have a great holiday season once again you can find us on twitter at c underscore clark underscore 27 and at hansen not hansen you can find our show on twitter at husker weekly and search husker sports weekly in the search bar of your favorite podcast networks to find our show happy new year here's to a great 2023 and without further ado go big red